0: Welcome to Donuts with Dudes, Episode 8. June 26th, baby. For our first story this week, we're going to be discussing all current events surrounding cannabis and the industry itself. It's reefer madness in here. For our second story, we're going to be discussing the correlations between the Bible and some other mythological stories surrounding that time period. Ooh. Anyways, for our third topic today, we're going to be discussing the nba draft with the first pick in the 2023 nba draft but stick around for the end with our interview with cannabis entrepreneur josh foley but before we get into that anthony hit him with that intro song
1: let's get
0: Welcome to Donuts with Dudes, where we dive into the things that matter most to men, like sports, business, and mental conditioning.
2: But we don't stop there. We also incorporate health topics because
0: being a well-rounded dude means taking care of yourself. We're your hosts, Anthony and Cameron, and we're excited to bring you this show where we discuss hot topics and interview experts in their field, real dudes just like you.
2: So sit back, grab a donut and maybe some coffee, and join us in the bakery.
0: And for our first story this week... We're talking about ganja, reefer, and what was, we call it, marijuana. Cheech and Chong. Yeah. You know, Anthony, growing up, obviously in our nation, there was no place where you could smoke weed. And fast forward to today, we live in a nation where only 10 of our 50 states do not have any type of legalization for marijuana, whether it be recreational and or medicinal. You know, you've got Texas, Kansas, Nebraska, Wyoming, Idaho, Indiana, Wisconsin. Wisconsin. Oh. Wisconsin. Tennessee, North, and South Carolina. Those are the, the 10 states. And excuse me, I said earlier that it was 10 out of the 50 states. It's actually 10 out of the 51 because we're also including the District of Columbia, our nation's capital, mm. where marijuana is uh, legalized recreationally.
2: Yeah, man, that's crazy, too. Think about this, right? The, the nation's capital, you guess you can partake, but then, you know, federally, you can't. It's odd. Backwards to me. I, I don't know.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of advocation out there that is surrounding that same narrative that if we... If we already have alcohol, a drug, as a legal substance in this nation, granted there are counties around the nation that have dry counties, and maybe that's something that you look into, right? Far more acceptance around it. I mean, obviously, look at it from a political, geopolitical standpoint, yeah, and then you can take a look at things like CBD. There is a help here, and you know what else, dude? Is is. You know
2: just the whole evolution of this whole topic here man is it's like this, the adverse health effects are modest compared to those to of other licit and illicit drugs so i think that whole narrative of you know the, the devil's lettuce you know it's it's gonna make you do all these negative things man i i just you know sure they might but i think at that time too It always goes back to me saying, hey, man, if the government can can make money off of it, they will. And until they can find that route to the money, it's going to be illegal.
0: The marijuana industry brought in $3.7 billion that were collected in 2021 that was brought into the economy through tax revenue.
2: And is that just, is that total or is that divided among states or is that more of like- total? Okay. Total. And you're saying, so what is that? 40 states left that are, so if you're doing the math here, you said, uh, let's do some quick math. What is, is, if you were to just average that out, what do these next 10 states add to it?
0: If you're looking at 3.7 billion over the somewhat 40 states, so roughly almost a hundred million dollars per state, right? Um, Give or take there. So you add in another 10 states there, you're looking at a billion, another extra billion dollars, right? Give or take on the math there. Sure. You know.
2: Just rough estimate. And I think that kind of puts us in, to answer that question there is like, why wouldn't you do that?
0: Besides the fact of taboo. Here, here is the opposite side of the fence, right? I mean, there are other studies out there, but there is a link of marijuana usage to, um, mental diseases like schizophrenia, right? And if you have any kind of like mental disorders, such as schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, things like that, that the use could enhance some of your um, episodes, right? That some of these mental diseases are known to have. Extreme depressive disorder, uh, general anxiety disorder. And obviously that's it. You, you make the argument that, well, you just don't do it if you have these disorders. Right. But you also could say the same thing for alcohol use. Right. True. Right. They all have negative side effects. Right. Everything has a
2: negative side effect. So if we're looking right now, man, I'm looking this up too, bro. Just while we're here, I'm looking at, uh, Sam backslash marijuana. If you want to check it out, SAMHSA. Um, marijuana risk bro so brain health marijuana can cause impairment IQ loss as much as eight points when people start at a young age well that's why you got age restrictions on that mental health athletic performance driving baby's health and development and daily life I mean I think all of these really uh can be associated with any kind of medicinal I mean just any kind of
0: medical drugs, right? A lot of those things, you, you can say the same thing with alcohol, right? I mean, yeah, you're right. Any kind of drug, I mean, you really have to reevaluate if you're, you know, obviously men, we're not going to be pregnant, but I mean, women. Another interesting number here is if you take, there was a study that was put out by Quest Diagnostics. Quest handles the, the most medical diagnostics as far as anything from blood, urine samples. So obviously with urine samples, they are one of the biggest vendors that will analyze um, on the job urine analysis, Mm -hmm. right? So they have seen just in one year, a 40 basis point increase in the amount of usage in marijuana. And they have seen year over year that that number has increased, considered statistically significantly increased over the years. I think that you can see that if you, if you look over a timeline over the past 30 years, that there has been a larger and larger acceptance of marijuana in its different forms um, and in its different levels of legalization.
2: Sure, man. You know, and, and I, I I would really uh, probably contribute that just to the amount of research that is going on into this and just, you know, people knowing what they're looking at and looking into, and like I said, man, uh, the reefer madness back in the fifties, prohibition or forties, thirties, what thirties, whatever that was, man. You know, whenever it was the whole prohibition era, there has been a lot of research since then, and we're looking at almost a hundred years ago. Yep. So, I think people are loosening up when they can. I think they're understanding. Yes, there is an you know, there's a need for, uh, well, there's a medicinal need and then there's also the recreational need. So those states are differentiating those two things and, um, and then putting an the age limit on it.
0: Dudes, we want to know what you think about it. We really do. Um, we're open to all opinions and we'd love to talk about those kinds of things on, on our shows coming up, give you a shout out. And we'd love to hear just different perspectives that may not even been mentioned during this show today. And or maybe it's just a unique perspective that maybe a lot of people aren't discussing. We have our uh, you can hit us at info at donuts with dudes. You can follow our the link in our show notes to our website, donutswithdudes.com. There's a place on there where you can press shout out and leave your your note on there. Obviously we know this could be a dividing topic. It's completely okay. Just uh, let us know what you think. For our second story this week, Anthony, we found some pretty interesting parallels between the Bible and some ancient texts, the Sumerian tablets. Talk to me a little bit more about that.
2: Like, think about this. The Sumerian tablets, and they tell the story of the creation of human beings. Yeah. So they they tell how they were created. They created a race that is more developed in the Homo erectus species by using the DNA of primates and their own DNA. So, there's actually stories and history about genetics and DNA uh, That's written
0: in, in what now?
2: In the Sumerian tablets. Huh. Yeah. So, when you're looking at this...
0: Consider to be the cradle civilization, right, Sumeria?
2: Yeah, and what's even crazier, man, is they, they say they came they came from a planet from a different star, you know, a different solar system. And they were on a planet called Nibiru. Nibiru. Nibiru? Yes. I feel like that's on Star Wars. And Nibiru, Nibiru is returning, though, bro. Yeah. And they say it's here now. Like, if you look at the sun, if you were to sun gaze right now, you know, you get the dot in your eye because you're staring at the sun too long. You start blinking, right? You get a dot. You can usually see that dot um but but there is a planet behind the sun right now that has been cameras. yes it's been caught on cameras and they're like what is this and uh i i I will attest to that bro the other day or not the other day it was kind of when i started learning about this i started looking at the sun and i was just staring at it one day and i started doing that blink test and i'll be dang if i didn't see two different dots so meaning Whenever I close my eyes, I could see the two sources of light. But whenever I open it, I could just see the one sun. But if I'm closing it, then I'm getting that negative image in my, you know, it's here. I don't know how to explain that to you, but you should, I suggest you go try that out. I feel like we need to talk
0: to an optometrist about
2: that. Hey, <laughs> I'm up for a vision test too, bro. I keep getting <laughs> my eye doctor is sending me emails, just spamming me right now,
0: and texts. Yeah, so I'm pulling up these cuneiform tablets that were from ancient Sumeria that were considered to be from the the cradle of civilization, right? In total there was fourteen tablets that consist of fourteen narratives, and this is mentioning Nibiru, planet that is in an, in an ellipsis basically that meets up with Earth in our in our same orbit. But the ellipsis is, like, so wide that I guess it only meets up with us on its, like, east end of its orbit that kind of comes back into orbit with the sun.
2: So they say, man, uh, some of these guys, you know, that do the research on this, they do believe that Nibiru is returning and is here now.
0: And I guess the last time, its orbit, where it comes back into the revolution... With the sun, so I guess every time it would meet back up with us is about 3,600 years, right? So that would mean that if they're coming around soon, that this would have been around 1792, 1750 B.C. And so there's a lot of what's considered to be huge interactions around that time because that would be around the cradle of civilization and around the time when Babylon, Kish, Uruk, Ur, Ur's actually where Abraham was from, or Abram at that this point in time. He was from a city of Ur, which is on the Euphrates River, and this would have been around the time of Hammurabi uh, in in Babylonia, which is what this area would have been called then.
2: Well, what's even just you know more interesting besides that is that you know the the Anunnaki. I mean, if you're really going back, right? The, it's written by the Anunnaki, which are from this planet Nibiru and You know they they um they mined for gold and that was kind of their source of energy on their planet so they came to earth and what's funny man is like you know these guys were you know considered gods of their time and they sent you know these beings of you know or, or themselves down to earth to mine these golds And they said, you know, those gods were lazy, so they said, let's inject our DNA into the primates that were on Earth to create these beings of slaves, right? So really it was all based on slavery Mm. because these guys did not want to put the work in to get the gold. So that's...
0: And aren't the Anunnaki supposed to be predating like the Egyptians, right? Like they're supposedly the ones that built the pyramids. Yes. Right? And the the pyramids were supposedly inherited by the Egyptian people, which maybe they're the offspring of some of the Anunnaki, right? This is me just being, maybe connecting some of the stars. This this is completely anecdotal. And they happen to be, who who obviously overtook these pyramids in ancient Egypt, right? And enslaved the Israelites. And the way that that happens, right, is you know, give Abraham's story, his son Isaac, and then his son, uh, Isaac's son Jacob, who is then called Israel, which means in Hebrew to wrestle with God. That's where the name Israel comes from, right? Mm-hmm. And Israel has 12 sons. That's why they're they're called the 12 tribes of of Israel because they're the 12 sons, so they just come from each lineage, right? Well, from one of Israel's sons, you probably know the story of Joseph. Jesus' daddy. No, <laughs> the, so the other Joseph. Beca- I and mean, there's only one Joe, bro. There's only one Joe. <laughs> so the story of Joseph, how he is cast out by his brothers, who is a child of Israel, right, picked up by the Egyptians. He's enslaved in Egypt and then um, becomes the second to Pharaoh, right? Mm. He becomes, like, you have Pharaoh in Egypt and then you have Joseph, right? And remember, he, he is part of the lineage of Abraham here, right, where this covenant is started with God, Yahweh. Well, there's famine where the Israelites are living, right? The other siblings and the whole tribe of of Israel. And Egypt has been smart. And this is part of the reason why Joseph becomes secondhand man to, to Pharaoh is because he has masterful planning skills. And, you know, in the Bible, they allot that to having a relationship with the one true Almighty God. But the other brothers come to Joseph. Remember, he's cast out. They don't even recognize who he is. He recognizes his brothers, and this is like years, decades later, and they're like wanting to trade with Egypt and because they don't have any stores of grain or whatever it may be. And Egypt does because they were smart about, during the plentiful years, storing up and having that kind of stuff, so they were wanting to trade. So the tables had turned, right? These brothers that had cast out Joseph, who was in prison, is now in this high and mighty place, now invites in the Israelites. He has mercy on his brothers, brings in all the Israelites, and they kind of all live in unison in Egypt until there is a revolt. Right after Joseph dies, it's one of the new Pharaoh's idea, like, hey, we have all these Israelite Hebrew people here that are on our land. And so there's two different theories there. Like, they decided to just enslave them, and there was actually true slave labor, right? And they were part of building some of those pyramids, right? That there was tens of thousands of people that were working on these pyramids. And this was through slave labor, and they were trying to mimic, and then so, because this kind of comes back into your theory too as well, that like they were trying to mimic some of these older pyramids that predate the Israelites. But then there was also that they lived alongside the Egyptians, and every Egyptian, so there's a, there's a flood season with the Nile. So during the flooding season, when they're not able to grow their crops, part of their citizenship to Egypt, this was for all citizens of Egypt at this point in time, had to give their work. And it was, those were months out of the year that they had to go and work as a tax back to Egypt to be able to, that, that was them paying their taxes. But they couldn't work during that time anyways because it, their, their lands were flooded by the Nile. But then after the, the, the Nile would return back, they were able to go and farm their lands, obviously. And it was well hydrated and well nutrients because they just got out of a flood. And then they just worked their, their land there. So there's, a, there's some interesting... Theories. Obviously, there's there's the Bible's testimony, and there's a lot of other historical testimonies to this story, how some stories paint the picture that they were of, yes, a of a lesser status, not necessarily enslaved, and they were they were probably a smaller group than what the Bible leads on to. And this is their champion story that they left at that point in time the the reigning Egyptian army and it's their story getting back to where Abraham started in in Jerusalem in Melchizedek which is considered their promised land right um and that's where the story of the bible that i think really takes off for the relationship with jesus because that's where the whole story has been has been told Yes, a lot of, maybe some of this beginning piece in Genesis that just kind of is telling the creation story, some of the lineage, maybe some of that is just folklore passed down and that's what was passed down through Hebrew tradition. That kind of points back to a lot, what a lot of ancient traditions kind of point back to, right? But there's a story that God made mankind, mankind messed up, and there's a bunch of different little small stories where he's trying to purify them, bring them back to sanctification and um, back to him, right, just in a relationship with him, period, and that we can't do it. We mess up. We keep messing up. We keep messing up. We keep messing up. Jesus comes along, saves you, does it for you, doesn't have to be done anymore, right?
2: right. You know, I'm glad that this kind of came around back to being full circle here because we, I feel like what, what I was really Going at her, going for here was just that. Sorry, no, no, no. Is that there's Sumerian tablets, there's stories in there that are in the Bible. So really, that's where I'm going for. I'm going for here is that, hey, these guys, you no, know, they got they got these stories also, f- as stated in the Sumerian tablets, the Anunnaki know in advance that the Noah's flood will take place. You know, um, I don't even know if you knew about this, but like it goes like did you ever heard of En Enlil or Inky? I've never heard of them, no. Those were guys that were brought down that came down from, you know, Nibiru to come like create this race of people of okay. slaves. Okay. Well, Enlil was the the dictator, right? And Inky was the more guy is was the brother that felt for these people. So anyhow, man basically Enlil's brother Enki pity the people and does not want them to perish Enki calls Noah and gives secret information about the flood he says that human beings should be should build a ship so that all of them are not destroyed in the flood he gives a description of the ship to be built for Noah its measurements and how to do it hmm. so when you know i'm just i just find it really interesting when you're looking at where did these stories in the bible come from
0: that's fair. It's a fair point, you know, that I, I think that there's enough information there to kind of show that there is, in essence, one story where they're being, being told from different vantage points and obviously maybe some of it being lost in translation through time, through translations, period. I mean, you just look at the way that we read our English Bible, right? Some of that is brought through two to three different languages. I believe that the there are allegorical stories that are just basically being told from a vantage point that maybe when they were written probably didn't make sense to the, their minds and it just was like okay this is all we really know you know and so this is what we're going to record and they don't, and, and even the bible says for itself that not everything that is written in this book or not everything that is true is written in this book like so there's basically there's more to be manifested to mankind, us, God's creation, that is not necessarily written in here. And so that points to that this is not an all-encompassing book, right? But everything that I guess that we need to know is here to live our life the way that Jesus Christ wants us to live, right? And it tells that story in a way enough to, like, this is factual and that you can lean on that. But anyways, what's interesting about that way or about this kind of, there being some parallels, right? And a lot of these different, either being ancient civilizations, other religions, if these parallels come in, you know, when police investigate people for a crime, if stories line up neck to neck and they're way too alike, it's an unbelievable story because that means that it was probably corroborated. So if you have these parallels that aren't necessarily spot on, but they're telling the exact same story, then there's probably a a good reason that they're probably telling the truth. You know, some people say, hey,
2: man, you're just finding this on TikTok or you're just uh, whatever. I'm like, I don't need to do the research if somebody else is the expert in this, right? I'm going to listen to what their research is. And if they're using TikTok as a platform, he's not. I mean, he does sell a book that he of his research, but he's not saying buy my book, buy my book, uh, my book, buy my book. You know what I mean? Yeah,
0: yeah. I mean, there's there's a very, I think any logical person could sit here and say, man, that there are some parallels here, right? I mean, no matter what your belief system is. Man, there's a lot of parallels going on here in a lot of different stories, and that's interesting. And that makes you want to be curious. Uh, you know what I'm saying? Like that. Um, how can one not be curious? No matter what your belief system is, to just try to understand some of these things, right? Dudes, let us know what you're thinking. We would love to hear. If there's a take on this that we're missing, maybe a good plug-in on it, hit us up on our show notes. We've got a link to our link tree. That's at Donuts with Dudes. You can find every single source of social media and where you can listen to our podcast at any point in time. Find us there or email us at info at Donuts with Dudes. Amen, bro. (laughs) And for our third story this week, the NBA draft has happened this past weekend, man. What are your thoughts on it, Anthony?
2: There was a couple cool stories that I did see in the draft. One thing more notable was the number one draft pick. Victor Wimbanyama went to the Spurs, man. You know, they did show this graphic last night where they were um, talking about Popovich's number one draft pick history. Wimbanya is in good company amongst the likes of David Robinson and Tim
0: Duncan. Bodes well for the future when it comes to Spurs getting a number one draft pick and, and, and Victor Wimbanyama. I'm going to try to get that right. Could be good foreshadowing for the Spurs to to get back to their dynastic team that they, like they used to have back in the early 2000s. Right, man.
2: You got this 19-year-old guy from France, and he dominated the uh, French leagues, so what they're saying, you know, this last season. He dominated that. Um, Seven-foot-four eight-foot wingspan, prime specimen for a center. Tim Duncan and David Robinson, each won Rookie of the Year and at some point had won an MVP. So it looks like Popovich has the formula to make another run for it. Another thing
0: that I found interesting about the first two rounds, though, is that 10 of the 58 picks did not come from a university. Right. They either came straight out of out of high school, where they came from, uh, some of these are G League. Even the the three out of the first five picks, G League Ignite or the Overtime Elite? If you look at uh, pick four and five right there, Amen
2: Thompson, Asar Thompson, they're twins. Bro. Twins have been drafted in the first round and back-to-back. So I think that, you know, that was the other cool story that I had, uh, that I thought was really interesting. and
0: yeah. That's pretty cool, man. I got to hate being also though, be like, man, my twin brother beat me out and went fourth and I went fifth. But hey, but how cool to be able to have this story that you guys went back to back in the NBA draft. Pretty neat.
2: I also found it interesting, uh, you know, uh, if you're looking at the second pick, looking at Brandon Miller from Alabama, and I don't know if you paid too much attention to the NCAA season last year. So, dudes, if you remember back in February, the story came out that allegedly Brandon Miller brought a gun and gave it to former teammate Darius Miles, in which handed the gun over to another person that was involved in a fatal shooting.
0: For a big guy, man, I mean, this guy's six foot nine's got pretty good numbers. You know, played thirty seven times this past year for Alabama. Eighteen point eight points, eight point two rebounds. 2.1 assists. I mean, guy's got good numbers, man. We both hate to hear a good athlete going wrong. So um, on the website,
2: TuscaloosaNews.com, um, the writer asserts that uh, former Alabama basketball player Brandon Miller was projected lottery pick in the June 22nd draft, and he hadn't been charged with a crime in the aftermath of a June 15th fatal shooting on the Strip. Instead he served as a witness. But once his name was brought up in the preliminary bond hearing, Miller became the person talked about most on the national level surrounding the case.
0: Guys, we want to hear we want to hear from you. What do you guys think about the NBA draft and how everything panned out? If you got any if you guys have any stellar players that you think that were really good um, and, and really good pickups that you guys want to talk about, hit us at info at donuts with dudes. Or you can find us on any social media platform at Donuts with Dudes.
2: We'll be back in a minute, but now a word from our sponsors.
0: At some point in our adult lives, we may have to turn our
1: attention to the needs and safety of our parents and grandparents as they age. They've done so much for us, and it's our turn to make sure they have the best quality of life. I founded HomeSpark because seniors deserve to have the very best care available so they can age with dignity and remain independent longer. Our caregivers provide
0: wellness checks, companionship, transportation, meal preparation, and more of what you think is important. To learn more about our personalized care plan, visit us at HomeSparkCare.com. HomeSpark, we care for people. Well, dudes, in the bakery today, we've got a pretty cool guest, and uh, uh, his name is Josh Foley, actually a native Texan transplanted and He's here to discuss his company, Indico Colorado, what they're doing in the cannabis industry. Josh brings over 20 years of cultivating experience and knowledge to this industry today. So dudes, welcome to the bakery, Josh Foley.
1: Thanks. I appreciate that uh, introduction. I'm looking forward to trying to share the information that I've learned on my journey here over the past 20 years and Hopefully it's some information that y'all can use if y'all are interested in getting into the industry or just knowledge uh, for your well-being. Well, welcome to the bakery.
0: Yeah, Josh, we're so happy to have you here. Uh, And if it's okay, let's jump right into it, man.
1: Yeah, so Indico, so, you know, I'm from Bryan College Station. was born at St. Joseph Hospital, lived there for 37 years. Back in 1999 is when I started cultivating you know, my first plant. Um, and it just kinda went from there. I went from having one plant in a closet to multiple plants to filling up a guest bedroom to renting a house and filling up that house and and uh my wife got pregnant and so I'm like, all right, well now I'm gonna be a dad, I gotta be a little more responsible. So I'm gonna try to go legit, which I had a friend that was out in South Lake Tahoe, California, that uh I I basically shut down operations in Texas and went out to California, uh, got a California driver's license, went and saw a doctor, got a a medical card. Um, And then I had, I I was a caregiver, which meant that I held other patients' cards and I cultivated for them. And so that was a, a really cool experience because there it was, you know, still Prop 64 in California was still kind of in its infancy. It was the craziest thing because, you know, we would have our cultivation, which was also in a house there, but it's all permitted and, you know, legal. Whenever we would harvest, we would just load everything up in the trunk and then take off across California, popping into these patient to patient collectives. And you'd just basically be like, Hey, I've got some weed. You want to look at it and buy it? And they'd be like, bring it in. So you would bring in the duffel bag and show it to them. And they'd either buy it or or wouldn't. After a while, you know, in Texas at that point in time, the pounds were like going for like 6,000 a pound of the product that I had. And in California, it was like 2500 It was only a matter of time before I'm like, all right, well, maybe we'll just take a few back. Before you know it, all of it was going back to Texas. Uh, and then that's when I got in trouble. So from there, I had to stop because I was on probation. That's when I went to go work for the Ford dealership out in Navasota. So I went to Mike and I was like, all right, well, I got in trouble. I need to get a real job for a little while. So he hired me at the car dealership, started out as a sales guy, ended up becoming the finance manager and then from finance manager to general sales manager and great money. You know, at that point in time, I ended up having three kids and I was always at work six days a week from eight o'clock in the morning till nine o'clock at night, at least. Um, and so I, you know, even though I was making a good living and all that stuff, I was just incredibly burnt out on it and didn't, you know, I would leave before my kids woke up and I'd get home after they went to bed. Anyway, it started to wear on my soul. So, uh, Texas passed the Compassionate Use Act, which was for uh, CBD products for epilepsy, Mm -hmm. and they were going to issue some licensing to cultivate. So I ended up linking up with a a friend um, that I had met through the dealership, told him about it, asked if he was interested. He was a farmer, and he was. So we started that discovery process, basically found out that trying to do something in Texas was just going to hemorrhage money until they changed the laws, which... God only knows when that was going to be. So we came out to California or to Colorado during that process and shifted gears and was like, you know what? Let's start a cultivation in Colorado. Let's get all of the SOPs for operating on a commercial level down. And then, whenever Texas actually comes up with a viable law for cultivating, then we'll have everything ready to roll and we can just move. Into Texas with all of our standard operating procedures in place and you know hit the ground running um that's kind of been the plan still waiting on Texas obviously
0: yeah um
1: but no it's been uh, it's been a cool ride here in Colorado man it you know the first year we were operating we won a first place cannabis cup um we've done a a good job of of building a brand here so right now we're starting to look at moving into other states possibly and, and still have our eye on Texas when it's viable
0: yeah there's there's parts of this this business aspect that we really want to unpack with you if you don't mind. So there's a lot of what you just mentioned there that I think that our listeners really want to kind of know a little bit more about and understand your experience and just kind of get your your take on it all. I mean I mean just kind of taking it all the way back, can you describe like the process that you have to go through to to get a license to, to operate a dispensary? You know what are the challenges that you're facing, starting up and then maintaining operations to in 2023. Okay,
1: so as far as starting up and getting licensing goes, you start with finding a location. Where do you want to be um, in whichever state? You know, and this, we'll talk about Colorado and how they operate, just because that's what I'm most familiar with. I do do some consulting with companies all over the country. Well slash world, as far as facility design goes. Um, and so I've learned that every state is different as far as how do you get in, How do you do your licensing? Taxation um, is different in every state. But as far as Colorado goes, you find a location. Obviously, just like alcohol, there's some counties that are like dry counties where you cannot do licensing. It's not that Colorado is just open and you can set up shop anywhere. you have to find. A county that is permitting it. Um, The second part to that is you have to find a county that doesn't have a moratorium. So for instance, around Denver, there's a moratorium on cultivations and on retail spaces. And the only way to get a cultivation or retail space in Denver would be to buy a existing spot that is for sale. And it's not that there's a moratorium as far as getting the license from the state. The state will issue as many licenses as people put in applications. The hard part is finding the spot that's zoned properly. So you have to find a location that is zoned for cannabis. The moratorium is on the use by review for rezoning locations. So you can't just go find a lot and say, I'm going to get a license and I'm going to build a spot on this empty lot. You can't do it because in Denver, the moratorium doesn't allow you to rezone it properly. So when we came to Colorado, that was the big hurdle was, all right, well, we want to be in a highly populated area for logistics reasons, but there's a moratorium basically in every Fort Collins, Denver, Pueblo. um, Colorado Springs is only medical, not recreational. And we wanted to build from the ground up because with cultivations on a commercial level, there's a lot of issues that people can have because you're growing plants inside of a building where you're putting off a lot of humidity you have to have the proper environmental controls or else you can end up having mold spores that grow and then you know once that stuff gets into a building just like any other building it's it's hard to get rid of so we didn't want to inherit somebody else's problems um so we found a county that didn't have a moratorium where we could buy a property and build from the ground up so First, you have to go to the county, which the county commissioners and the counties are the ones that typically will issue the license, and they'll say, well, you need to go to the state and get approved by the state first before we approve it. And then you go to the state, and the state says it needs to be approved by the county before we'll approve it. So you have to convince the commissioners, uh, and most of them want to hear your business plan and make sure that it's viable and that they're going to be able to generate tax revenue from you. And then they'll give you basically a letter that will say if the state approves you then we'll approve you Um, and then you go back to the state with that and it goes you go through a huge process of it's not just personal information on the level of where you live and that that type of deal you have to do a full disclosure of where all the money is coming from to start the business most of it has to be seasoned in accounts for quite a while They follow a huge paper trail. Obviously this is to make sure that, you know, there's not illegal money that's being used to, to start up these businesses. And so that's, that's a process that typically takes four to five months to get through, they're a little backed up and just like any other government entity takes a long time. The next part of it is water. Water in Colorado is a huge deal. You'd like to think that, oh, well, we've got our city water line right here that we can just tap into and then we have water. The problem is is that a lot of counties have their water lines that have been put in by federal grant money and since cannabis is illegal on a federal level they interpret it as well you you can't use this water line because it was put in with federal money and we don't want to lose the opportunity of getting grants from the federal government to build more infrastructure what we had to do was i sat on a water board for a local uh, water line for months and they had to bring it to a vote, was able to convince them to pass it. And so we were lucky. There's a lot of cultivations out where we're at where they truck water in. So they have giant cisterns buried under the ground. Trucks come in, fill up the water for them. Uh, it's incredibly expensive to do it that way. And most of them that were set up that way have have now failed as a business. Um, so that's a big hurdle when you're looking at you know, states or areas to go into figuring out the water sources is a huge deal. And then once you get up and running the permits, you have to deal with the Department of Agriculture for cultivation, even for retail spaces. If you're wanting to start a dispensary, you have to deal with the local health department. Um, it's you know similar to starting up a restaurant, I guess. They come and do checks. It can be, become very expensive and tedious. So uh, as far as the startup goes, that's you know kind of the framework of the things that you have to look at and the things that you have to accomplish to to actually be able to to start building or, or receive a, a full license from the the state and the county.
0: So it sounds like to me it's a obviously a lengthy, laborious process, but it sounds somewhat expensive too as well. It is.
1: It is, and. There's still a lot of pushback even in Colorado. A lot of the government still don't like cannabis. You know, you have a lot of your baby boomers that are in these positions still. Um, And so the whole reefer madness is is still alive and well. Their constituents have voted for it. And a lot of these places need the revenue. Uh, We're in Crowley County, which was one of the poorest counties in the state. So they passed it basically because they needed the money. If the county allows it then they actually get to pull from the state funds for help. So you have two different types of taxations. You have your excise tax that you pay to the county, which varies by county. Ours is 5% of our total revenue. And then you have the excise tax for the state, which is 15%. And then you still pay federal taxes as well. So by the time it's all said and done, almost... 50% 50% of our total revenue goes to tax. Ooh. Uh, and it makes it very hard to operate. You know, if we were taxed like a normal business, then we'd be doing great. You know, everybody would be killing it. It seems like the most of your money is going to taxes. And so it's that's, that's the biggest hurdle. And as far as the industry goes, uh, but I get it. That's why it's like uh, in Texas, you have the syntax on alcohol. That's basically what it is just on steroids you know that's the one thing that really needs to change in the cannabis industry for it to flourish the way it should that and of course federal legalization, it sounds like a lot of politics that go into this and how
2: do you, how do you navigate these complex regulations and compliance requirements that are specific
1: you know to the industry there in Colorado? It's not easy. The regulations are constantly changing. What we do is there are several organizations that you can hire that their compliance officers essentially do quarterly self audits where these compliance officers come in. They do an audit the same as the state would do um, to make sure that we're, you know, bulletproof. One of the largest hurdles for compliance is packaging because there's a lot of things that have to be on the packaging as far as warning labels and certain verbiage. And they have to be OPEC where you can't see through the packaging. And that constantly changes. They're constantly changing the rules. Having somebody on your side is almost a must. If I were to try to be our compliance person and keep up with it and wear all the other hats, things would absolutely slip through the cracks. The MED, which is a marijuana enforcement division for Colorado. They do random checks. So you'll be sitting there, and then one day there's a knock on the door, and it's basically the cops that want to come in and go through all of your documents on your computers, um, go through the garden and check tags, check, you know, cross reference it with what's in the system. Everything is tracked through a system called Metric, where every plant has a tag that ties back to the system. Anytime, we do deliveries or having to transport product you have to go into that system you create these tag numbers that are associated to specific packages you then create a manifest that has the time you're leaving the route you're taking the product you're carrying your arrival time everything has to be signed off on both ends it's a major pain in the there's a tax law it's 280e that is really the, the major problem with the industry and it has to do with the federal government. And that is why the 280E law is why we don't really have safe banking. Um, so that's like the big part of the industry, right? If you want to start a company, you cannot go to a bank and get a loan because of 280E. They cannot loan money for cannabis because of the federal issue. So To start a business, you have to pay cash for everything. And when we first started, there were almost no state banks that would allow cannabis accounts and the ones that did um, had very few accounts that they would, would do. And there was a huge waiting list and they have astronomical monthly service fees. It was very unsafe. When we first started, I would have a car full of product. I'd go to these dispensaries, you'd be collecting cash. You know six figures sometimes and you're riding around with all this cash and then you would have to go to a bank and you know drop all this cash off and it felt very very unsafe at times now there are more state banks that have accounts they still have large service fees but it's become there's more places that i'm picking up checks now than cash um so there's baby steps happening It's just, we really need, I think the things that will really help the industry the most are getting rid of the 280E, which will allow banking to happen, uh, which could be huge. Uh, It could be good or bad, to be honest. It'd be great in the sense of it's easier for companies to continue to grow and build infrastructure and, and so forth. I guess the the flip side to that is it becomes a lot more available for more people to be able to get in. It's, it's definitely new enough of an industry that it's so rapidly changing and trying to regulate itself that uh, it's just, you know, if you look at a, a line graph of what has happened in Colorado, you have these huge rises in price points and, you know, numbers sold and tax revenue collected. And whenever the price goes up, then more people get in, they get more interested. So you get more infrastructure, you have more product, market becomes oversaturated, price falls way down, people go out of business, they can't sustain, price goes back up. And so since there's no in normal farming, you know, you can you can hedge crops, you can have insurance on crops. There is none of that in this industry.
0: Can you talk to I guess kind of maybe back up to a little bit too is there's a commodity price that's set by a particular market that sets a price for corn for cotton for things like that. Obviously, we don't have anything like that in that that's a a formal structure like the sh- Chicago Mercantile Market. What mm-hmm. what is controlling the price? What are what are pulling these different levers in the economics of dictating the prices that are causing so much of a volatile swing, I guess, for your your go-to-market price? Obviously, there's multiple factors
1: in that. The consumer is one. Cost of living for everybody has gone up. So the available extra cash that people have to spend on cannabis is a lot more hit or miss right now than it was four or five years ago. Um, so that, that would be the first factor is the consumer trying to bargain shop, if you will. The other one is there's so many cultivations that have upstarted, uh, and this, and this is true for the country. I'm speaking more to, you know, my personal experience in Colorado. There's a, there's so many cultivations that have started that with the oversaturation of product, um, that's the main determining factor. So the dispensaries, obviously the cheaper they can get it for, the more money they make. So that's one of the driving factors is they don't want to pay high prices when they can get it for cheaper and and have larger margins, right? And then just cultivations, there's, there's so many cultivations that have so much product that they're having a problem getting rid of just because of the competition that it's like, okay, well, even though it cost us a pound to create this product. If we don't sell it for 500 a pound, which is what we're being offered right now, then we're not going to have any revenue and no operating capital and we're going to go out of business. So then they're just motivated strictly by survival, whatever they can get for it to make sure that they can pay their rent and keep their lights on. They're just moving it. Um, and so it becomes a race to the bottom. And the same thing is happening on the retail side. There's so many dispensaries in a square mile in Denver that they're all in direct competition with one another. So they're running specials, they're doing sales, and they just end up, same thing, pitting against one another, race to the bottom.
2: Well, I noticed, you know, on y'all's website, you know, you you say uh, Top Shelf Craft Cannabis. And, and this kind of, that fits with your brand, you know, of, of all the stuff that you do to, to differentiate your product from others. How does the music go into play when, you know, I see that you bring in DJs from, from around the country and, you know, they're, they go play a set for, uh, the ladies
1: in there. like, what is that about? Everybody needs to have a shtick, right? Like what sets you apart from your competitor? And two things that have always gone together is music and cannabis. So... My partner, Owen, is a DJ, and I was reading an article about the effects of musical vibrations on plant growth and found it absolutely fascinating. You know, they would have these controlled studies where they would play different types of music to these plants and then measure their growth and health and production, that type of stuff. And so one day we were. We were sitting in the grow and I told my partner, I'm like, man, you know, let's, let's do a video. Let's bring your turntables in here and let's play some music to the plants and and we'll, we'll set up speakers and we'll start playing music to the plants. We started doing that and it was a lot of fun first off. And, um, all of our employees absolutely loved it. And so we're like, look, there's obviously some type of science backing the effects of music on plant growth. We kind of ran with it and it's like, you know, creating, it's all about creating a positive environment, um, not just for the plants, for, for the people as well, um, because I've even noticed with some of the consulting deals that I've done where when you go into a cultivation and there are obviously disgruntled employees and it's a dirty, you know, it's not a clean grow space. Every time I went into a place where you had that feeling like the plants never look very healthy. And every time I go into a place where you're talking to the employees and people enjoy being there, there's like a positive energy. The place is clean. The plants always look way healthier. Um, And so that's kind of what we've run with is we, Owen, it started with Owen and then we started inviting other DJs uh, in Colorado to come in and do sets for the plants and The employees get to come and hang out and you know it's kind of like a fun deal and then we just started started inviting you know as many musical talents as we could to come in and do it and so that's kind of our that's the relationship of music and plants and and people love it people love the idea of these plants that music has been played to them we've had uh, some musical guests that have come in they've played a set to the plants and then we replay that music to the plants over and over um, and then on our packaging there's like a little QR code that you can scan and you can actually listen to the musical set that the plants were listening to to like create a relationship it's, it's more about fun than anything but it is absolutely there's scientific backing to it so yeah man it's pretty cool and it's unique you know so it, it made a splash whenever we started doing that It's, uh, it just kind of became our thing that sets us apart.
0: I can dig it. It's that vibe,
1: (laughs) you know, it's the vibe, it's the frequency. It's
2: just, yeah.
0: Um, man, thank you for, for joining us today. Can you let us know how can they, if our listeners want to learn a little bit more, can they get in contact with you? Can they, can they go to a website? What's the best way to go about that?
1: Yeah. So I would say the best way, if there's any direct questions, which I'm always willing to help in any capacity I can, our website, IndicoColorado.com, you can contact us. Also, what I do want to say is if people feel like, you know, cannabis is just something that people do for fun and that, you know, it makes people lazy and it doesn't have health benefits, if people were able to be in my shoes and see the stories that I've been able to see as far as people with health issues, uh, whether it be physical or mental, and, the way that people have overcome problems, even alcoholism, story from people about how cannabis has changed their life and for the better. I think that their concerns and contempt that they have would
0: be gone completely. So keep an open mind, everybody. We like that advice here. And we definitely want to hear more from you here soon, Josh. But dudes, we'll put a link in the the show notes too, as well, to Indico... Colorado.com. That way you can go check out the website. Uh, But Josh, we we really appreciate you coming on and and just giving us your time and your expertise here today. Thanks for coming in, bro. Yeah, thanks. No problem. We'll do it again soon. Special shout out to Josh Foley, owner of Indico Colorado, for stopping by the bakery to discuss everything surrounding the cannabis industry.
2: If you'd like to learn more about Josh Foley and his operation, check out his website, IndicoColorado.com. As always, you can find more of our content and our link tree at Donuts with Dudes.
0: Dudes, you can also request a shout out or comment on today's show by following the link in our show notes or emailing us info at donutswithdudes.com. And dudes, remember, our mission is to make
2: men better and smarter each week.
0: But until next week, take care of yourself, and we'll see you guys in the bakery for our next batch of fresh, hot topics.